This is Matt Hurt, at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter, and this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find more of our work at ObsessiveViewer.com, more of our podcasts at ObsessiveViewer.com slash podcasts, and you can like us on Facebook and join the Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. You can also support us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Obsessive Viewer at the minimum rate of $1 per month for an exclusive RSS feed with content recorded specifically for Patreon supporters, and at the rate of $5 per month, you get access to video uh, reviews and vlogs that we do for the $5 tier uh, patrons. Once again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And yeah, so here we go. I'm your host, the aforementioned Matt Hurt, and I'm here with another special edition of the podcast. It is currently Thursday, April 9th, 2020, and we are closing out day 23 of the first and dear God, hopefully last ever COVID-19 film festival presented by obsessiveviewer.com. So... The COVID-19 Film Festival is basically me chronicling all the movies that I watch while working from home and quarantining myself during this global pandemic that we're currently experiencing. I'm presenting these podcast episodes as if I were covering a film festival. I'm going to have special days that are programmed by the other hosts, and they may Skype in from time to time to record with me, um, as is the case in this episode. So this is this episode is recounting uh, day 16 of the COVID-19 Film Festival, which was April 2nd, 2020. Um, April 2nd, I spent the day working from home, and I watched a bunch of stuff on Netflix. And uh, later in the episode, you'll hear me and Tiny chat about the pandemic, as well as talk about Tiger King, which is being as is as wise, widespread on the internet as COVID-19 is on the world. Um, the internet's going crazy over Tiger King. I'm not a fan of it. You'll hear my thoughts later in this episode. Um, but that is the spotlight review of this episode, is me and Tiny talking about Tiger King. That episode or that recording was recorded um, on April 2nd, so it's been seven days. It's been a, a full week since we recorded that episode. So um, some of the stuff, some of the information may be outdated, but just keep in mind when you hear that, that it was recorded on April 2nd. Um, since the last episode of this podcast was also recorded, I believe on April 2nd, I'm going to forego the Indiana stats for the coronavirus because I want to keep these stats uh, tailored to the day that I'm talking about. So since I've already talked about the stats from April 2nd, 2020, it would be redundant to talk about April 2nd, 2020 again. Uh, the next time I'm on the uh, next time I do this episode or do this podcast, um, I'll talk about the stats from April 6th, I believe, um, when I do my next installment of these, uh, these episodes. So without further ado, let's go into some news. I don't really have much news, um, except for two items. One I forgot to bring up on the last episode. Um, Amazon Prime Video announced, uh, back on a week ago, 
that uh, basically they tweeted out, okay, exciting news, y'all. We're partnering with South by Southwest on a 10-day streaming event to bring you a collection of movies from this year's lineup. It'll be free for everyone in the United States. Yeah, we said everyone, because these films deserve an audience. Stay tuned for more details. Um, as far as I know, they haven't announced any further details, but I will put a link in the show notes of this episode to the press release that is on South by Southwest's website. Um, this is unprecedented first of all and it is it's big it's it's huge um south by southwest is a huge kind of uh huge uh stop on the festival circuit and to see them adjusting to this new reality we live in um is interesting it's it's very intriguing to see what kind of effect this will have in the future after all this has passed i'm sure that uh, my hope is to be honest my hope is that it doesn't have any effect on the future <laughs> that film festivals still exist in the future and that we don't have a streaming platform for, uh, for, for these theatrical releases or anything, because that's it, the theatrical experiences is, is one of the best experiences. One of the best things that we do every day, um, not every day, but one of the things we do day to day, like I, it's, it's like, I'm hurting that I'm, I can't go to a movie theater right now. Um, so I just, I really hope that we get those back. Um, there's been rumors and talk about how AMC is very close to having to, um, uh, file. They may have to file bankruptcy because their, uh, liquidity, I think is the word. Um, will only last them to June or July. And the latest uh, idea is that the theaters won't be able to reopen until August or September. Um, more on that in the next episode, I think. But man, that's so depressing. I, I hate that. I really do. But it is needed because, you know, we can't be congregating and infecting each other with this virus that has been just decimating the the economy and our you know citizens of the of the world in the United States specifically um so yeah so that's south by southwest on prime video that's going to be exciting what i think i'm going to do is i'm going to get uh the rest of the hosts i want i want i want them to watch as many of them as they can and i want to do like a group podcast episode um me Mike, Tiny, Feckus, Ben, Kirsten. I don't know if we'd, we'd be able to get them all on the same episode together, but maybe do like, maybe assign movies to each one and then kind of do one-on-one -on -one things. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm looking forward to that whenever it happens. So check that out. Uh, link in the show notes to the press release. And then finally, um, as I am recording this on Thursday night, um, I'm hoping to get this posted tomorrow, uh, April 10th, because it is once again uh, Friday. And uh, Friday, what the Can Can Theater in here in Indianapolis, which unfortunately was set to open shortly, like right around the time that this pandemic happened, um, and now they can't open for the foreseeable future. They're doing, uh, I mentioned it last time, but they're doing Can Can at Home Cinema, uh, Can Can On Demand at Home Cinema. Friday, April 10th the, at 8 p.m., they're going to be uh, like a group is going to be watching Ferris Bueller's Day Off. There is a Slack channel that you just go into cancanindy.com. That's K-A-N-K-A-N-I-N-D-Y.com. Go to At Home Cinema and 
basically just send them, uh, sh- uh, fill out the form to have them send you a, an invitation to the Slack channel, and then you're in. I didn't get a chance to watch the social network with them last week, but I'm hoping to check out Ferris Bueller's Day Off with them and check out the Slack channel as well. So again, that's cancanindy.com. Check that out. Link in the show notes. And uh, I hope you guys, you know, do that. I hope I hope you do that because we need more uh, people need to support everything <laughs> um, in this weird world we're in. Okay, and then the last um, news item that I'm going to bring up on this episode is that um, the Artcraft Theater, the historic Artcraft Theater in Franklin, Indiana, I've talked about it on the podcast several times before, um, they obviously are also shut down right now. And I just want to say, just if you have the means um, and you're in the area and everything, obviously, um, go to their website and uh, buy a gift card, a simple gift card purchase can go a long way with them. Um, and then make sure you go there when they reopen. Um, let's see. I said that this is April 9th. Last night on April 8th, there was a, a very like severe uh, stretch of storms that hit Indianapolis. And they, uh, Franklin, Indiana, actually got hit pretty hard. Um, not as hard as some other areas. But the Artcraft Theater did have damage on their... Uh, marquee panels which they posted on social media and said that those can be replaced and everything and that's that's no big deal but i mean they're not they're shut down they're they can't they can't screen any movies or anything so please um if you have any interest in going to check out the artcraft theater after we've talked about it on the podcast so many times uh go buy a gift card they'll they'll honor it when they reopen and uh you know go check out one of the best places to see a movie in indianapolis in the indianapolis area um i'll put a link in the show notes to that as well but please check it out i did buy my own uh twenty dollar gift card so i'm excited to get that i guess they mail it out to you um basically it's one dollar for postage and then they also ask that like they uh there's a section where you can add an additional donation so i just threw five bucks to the donation so i paid 25 dollars for a gift card that i'm excited to get and then uh actually use when they reopen so check that out and uh let's get into day 23 no day 16 (laughs) this episode is covering day 16 of the uh, COVID-19 Film Festival. So let's get into day 16 of the COVID-19 Film Festival presented by ObsessiveViewer.com, the Netflix Spotlight Day. Okay, so the Netflix day of COVID-19 was just the day where I decided to watch a bunch of stuff on Netflix. And I ended up watching three movies on Netflix that I'll talk about. And then I'll throw it to our Spotlight review with me and Tiny talking about Tiger King. And me ranting and raving about how utterly ridiculous and stupid it is. Um, uh, so look forward to that. Um, I'll do non-spoilers for these three movies that I'm going to talk about on Netflix. Um, obviously, all three of them are available to stream on Netflix. And uh, check them out once I finish talking at you about them. <laughs> or don't, considering the ratings on a couple of these. So, okay. So first up is Search Party. Um, I'm going to play a clip from the trailer here, and then we'll get right back into my review of Search Party. Here's a clip from the trailer. Hello? Jason, I should be married and on my honeymoon, but because of you, I am going to die here. Okay, where are you? I went down to the resort to get Tracy back. I got carjacked, man. I was wearing my grandfather's tux. They took that, too. So you got carjacked, and then you got tuxedo jacked? I am naked in the middle of Mexico. Nerd is naked. 
We gotta go find him. All right. So, Search Party is, according to IMDb, about a pair of friends embark on a mission to reunite their pal with the woman he was going to marry. Search Party has a pretty impressive cast. It's got Adam Pally from Happy Endings, um, Thomas Middleditch from Silicon Valley, and uh, TJ Miller from Silicon Valley as well, and some not-so-crazy news um, uh, pieces, I guess, news news things. Um, also has Shannon Woodward, Allison Bree, J.B. Smoove. So it's got a pretty good stat, uh, pretty good cast. I also got Lance Reddick, uh, Kristen Ritter, Rosa Salazar, Jason Manzukis. God, I love him so much. Um, so, uh, there's, there's a really good cast of, of comic actors, um, in this movie. Unfortunately, the movie was not good. Like, even with the, even with the really good cast, it was just, like, like I mentioned, Jason Manzukis. I love that guy. Whenever he pops up, particularly when he pops up on, um, comedy bang bang on the podcast but the movies that he's in like he's in one of my favorite romantic comedies um sleeping with other people and he's also he's also in one of my favorite um uh satires of romantic comedies they came together um he's great but search party like he he plays a magician that's doing like he uh, is involved in a black market scheme. I'll, I'll say that, um, that one of the characters kind of crosses paths with. It's dumb. Uh, it's a brief thing. I, I kind of wish that he had more to do. Um, really, I wish that all of these actors had more to do. Um, they, it just felt like they didn't have the freedom to just improv like at all. And some of these actors I've seen, on, like I said, on Comedy Bang Bang, um, they have done incredible improvisations. Um, the Thomas Middleditch in particular, like here in a couple of weeks, um, on Netflix, they're going to release, uh, uh, Schwartz and Middleditch or Middleditch and Schwartz. Schwartz. It's Thomas Middleditch and Ben Schwartz doing improvised comedy on stage. And it's going to be, I think, um, I think it's going to be set up like a limited series where there's going to be three episodes that are three improvised comedy specials. Super excited about that. I think it comes out April 21st, but check Netflix for more information. But it just, it's, it's incredible. I'm excited for it because, specifically because they're great improvisers. And Thomas Middleditch was not given really anything to do. None of them were. This was a really lazy and dumb comedy. This is the type of comedy that it, like on Netflix's algorithm, has it set up as late night comedies. Just kind of turn off your brain watch while drunk or hungover or high or whatever. Um, but even that, like I, I watched it sober, but the script is just so bland and it, it just hits so many marks. It's like they, it's like, it's like kind of, um, kind of like, okay, late night comedy screen, screenwriting 101. Like, okay, they need to do this and this and this. Let's hit these marks and then we'll do, we'll surround each mark with just the most ridiculous and unearned hijinks we can come up with. And then we won't put anything around them to build up to that. So it kind of had this frenetic energy where it's like, oh, okay, well, Thomas Middleditch is suddenly he's in Mexico and he's naked and he doesn't know where he is. So the guys have to go find him. That's a fine enough setup, but it's also like, okay. Um, 
just not enough to really compel you. And it just feels like it's just too much of a riff on like the hangover movies where they need to find someone in there in danger, but it, it didn't have like the, I don't want to say charm of the hangover movies, but it didn't, ha- it didn't have the intrigue of it or the, or the, the, frankly, the comedy of the, <laughs> the hangover movies. Um, it just felt just so unearned every beat that this movie hit. And like, even the even the set pieces themselves just they lack like they don't they don't meld well with the plot at all like there's a whole subplot where um Adam Pally's character is he is um he's he's in line for promotion or something and Lance Reddick is his boss and he has to he has to meet a deadline or some something like that and it's fine but it's also it just feels just so like like forced like okay we need to have something to anchor this character to make him more like irritable about the situation that tj miller has put him in conversely he has a like romantic um thing with allison Bree's character who's a co-worker and like one of the things that kind of just really just bothered me about it just on a basic um just on, just on a basic level was that like it's one of those standard like romantic subplots in a in an R-rated comedy um thing where it's like okay well you know they're going to end up together but it's going to be the most contrived thing ever because he puts her through hell <laughs> and does horrific things but it's like the movie is so like haphazard and slapped together that they don't even make like a decent enough attempt to smooth things over between these two characters so like when you get to the climax of the movie and you get the you get the kind of very unearned resolution to their subplot it's like okay but but he did this and that and 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 now she's in this position and he's he's like like why did like i don't think he earned any of this <laughs> uh in the denouement of the movie it just it just didn't work for me um yeah so it it i don't know you might get a kick out of it if you like those types of just turn your brain off movies. Um, there are some decent bits that I, that I, um, remember laughing at, but it's been a week and I just, I've blanked out most of the movie from my mind, to be honest. Um, Thomas Middleditch is weirdly naked throughout most of the movie. So if, if you are, if, if you want, if you want to gawk at him, I watched the movie. Um, <laughs> But it didn't really do like the the movie didn't really do anything for me, and uh, your mileage may vary. That search party from 2014, I rated it on Letterboxd one and a half stars out of five. Um, you might like it more than I did. I did not like it though, so uh, watch at your own risk. So next up on this episode of Obsessive Viewer is the Little Hours. Um, I'm going to go ahead and play a clip from the trailer here. Beautiful morning, sister. Hey, don't fucking, fucking talk to us. Get the fuck out of here. Sister Ginevra. Sister Fernanda. Sister Alessandra. Sister Maria. These are your sins. Bling, bling, bitch. Do my own thing, bitch. Filthy conversation. Mind your own fucking business. Lustfulness. Oh. Homosexuality. Did you roll your eyes? No. You were rolling your eyes. Wake up, little bitches. Let me show you how to live. You're You're gonna get me fucking killed. Uh-huh. Bring me his goddamn balls. 
Okay, The Little Hours stars Alison Brie, once again, <laughs> Dave Franco, uh, Kate Micucci, Aubrey Plaza, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Fred Armisen, um, and some other people. Oh, Nick Offerman's in it for a couple of scenes. Paul Reiser's in it for like one scene. Adam Pally is also in this movie. Jeez. Um, so, and John Gabris. So, plot summary courtesy of IMDb is In the Middle Ages, a young servant fleeing from his master takes refuge at a convent full of emotionally unstable nuns. Introduced as a deaf mute man, he must fight to hold his cover as the nuns try to resist temptation. So, The Little Hours was slightly better than Search Party. <laughs> um, uh, I'll go ahead and say it. I rated it two and a half stars out of five on Letterboxd. It's fine. Um, it really tries so hard to be irreverent and satirical and inappropriate. Like, like I'm not, I am not a, um, snob or squeamish about inappropriate humor. Like, it's, like, it's, it's, it's offensive humor and it works. Or on paper, it works. Like, it should work. But it's so inconsistent in the tone of the movie and in the kind of the, uh, I think that what, what that type of irreverent and satirical humor, stuff like, you know, nuns like dropping F bombs and talking about how they, um, uh, how, uh, how they're lusting after people, but it's like modern language. It's not like too, like, middle agey, um, <laughs> But it's like, oh, I want to fuck that guy. Um, it's like, oh, and like the funny part of it is, oh, these are nuns talking about this in, in the Middle Ages, but they're using um, modern like vernacular. But it doesn't try hard enough to to make that interesting at all. Like the, that is the kind of the sole purpose of it is that um, the sole purpose of that satirical humor is to just call attention to the fact that it's, it's anachronistic to the time frame of the movie. And like, it is kind of resting on those laurels and it's not doing anything at all to really heighten the, the comedy aside from the fact that it's like, Oh, modern cursing in middle age, uh, settings and stuff. Um, the whole plot line with Dave Franco as a, in a, a man who escapes his, his servant, um, the king and hides out there. And then he kind of, he gets into, uh, trysts with the nuns. It's fine. Like he, he plays a deaf mute or he, he's, he's putting on an act of, of being a deaf mute man. And like when that kind of falls apart at, toward the end of the movie, like that, that's some in, interesting drama, I guess. But it's, it's still just, it kind of just felt like going through the motions. And maybe this is just me coming off of watching Search Party and going into this, but it just did not captivate me at all. Even with the, with the pretty good cast, it didn't really do anything for me. Um, Kate Micucci did stand out for me because she plays, the, he, her character is this, um, kind of, goody two shoes, very, um, very like nosy character. And she's very much like trying to get the other nuns in trouble. And, and it's funny because like John C. Riley's kind of the head of the monastery, I guess. I don't know where, I don't know the words, but, um, <laughs> but he's kind of the head of the place, him and Molly Shannon. And like, like they don't give a shit. <laughs> like they don't care if, if, um, like one of the other nuns has stolen something or something or are like leaving in the night or whatever. And it's funny to see that contrast with Kay Mikuchi's character trying so hard to kind of get that, um, 
that that level of attention from from the higher ups like that that kind of works a little bit but then but that's about it really um there are some twists in the plot that I felt were pretty interesting. Um, it kind of delves into almost another genre itself, uh, toward the end of the movie, but it's stuff that I've, I've seen so many times and it's, it doesn't do anything unique with it aside from like, Oh, here, now we're throwing you into this type of movie, but we're not going to do anything unique with this type of movie, um, or this type of genre. So you're just going to watch us do this thing. And it kind of just felt like, kind of like I said with search party, it just felt unearned and, and un, convincing or or lifeless really it didn't have the it didn't really have much going for it that made me feel compelled to it um there is a subplot involving kate micucci and aubrey plaza's character that the fallout of that there's there's this rift that forms between them that kate micucci is trying to get her attention um that was pretty interesting um and a little funny i guess but it was more emotional than anything although it wasn't like necessarily like heavy drama or anything but it just felt like it injected a little bit of life into the um into the movie but not really enough to make me more interested in what was going on with it um yeah and that that's about it for the little hours it's short but i mean the movie didn't really do anything for me it was from 2017 by the way um and i rated it two and a half stars on letterboxd and i mean once again like i said with search party your mileage may vary it was it was i would say that obviously i would definitely say that search party was a lot more vulgar and um uh vulgar really but the little hours does have its irreverence and um kind of crazy humor but it didn't like search party just didn't land for me it didn't, didn't do anything for me um yeah, I, it was fine, but I'm I'm probably never going to watch it again. Um, so watch it at your own risk. It is available on Netflix. It's The Little Hours from 2017, um, and I rated it two and a half stars on Letterboxd. Okay, and the third and last movie of this uh, section of the podcast for this episode is Unicorn Store, which was also from 2017, and I'm going to play a clip from the trailer right now. Behold! We sell what you need. Unicorns? That was the only thing I ever wanted. If I have one brought here, I have to know that you're for real. (gasps) I've made a decision. I'm building a home worthy of a unicorn. I'm thinking something like a stable. I don't think a pony wants to live in your basement. That's a good point. Do you think this is some kind of joke? Should we just get you a puppy? I know that I'm just a disappointment. You're always like, why don't you have a boyfriend? Or why aren't you just more like Kevin? Oh, someone call me? No! So, according to IMDb, Unicorn Store store is... Here's a plot summary, courtesy of IMDb. Uh, Kit, a 20-something dreamer, receives an invitation that would fulfill her childhood dreams. Uh, This movie stars Brie Larson, Samuel L. Jackson, Joan Cusack, Bradley Whitford, uh, Mamadou... Mamoudou Athi, um, and Hamish Linklater. Wow. And, uh, Martha McIsaac, which was, she was, I've, I've think I've only really only ever seen her in Superbad. Anyway. Uh, yeah, the movie is directed by Brie Larson. It's her directorial debut and written by Samantha McIntyre, who is a producer on Zoe's extraordinary playlist and has worked on, um, other things. So, um, 
Finally, I'm getting to a good movie. I really loved Unicorn Store. Um, my God. So there's a scene where, um, <laughs> there's a scene where Brie Larson's character is giving a presentation and the kind of room, like the, the board members or whatever, the, the business people that are li- watching it. Um, one of them says that, uh, it's out of context, but anyway, she says, I'm just realizing right now I might hate rainbows. And then someone says, Oh my God, me too. Let's just keep this really real and grounded. Cause it's like a, it's an a advertising campaign and everything. And, and Brie Larson's character has done this very, childlike whimsical presentation and her response to their back and forth is wait you guys do realize sorry rainbows are real (laughs) um so anyway to get to my actual thoughts on on unicorn store this movie is a very interesting um take on the kind of old adage and the kind of universal feeling that people get of you know growing up when you're not ready to like going into adulthood and shedding like putting away childish things. Um, so what the movie does so well is Kit played by Brie Larson. She is so resistant to doing that. Like she's so resistant to getting a new, uh, to getting a new life. It basically, it starts with her failing out of art school and she goes back to live with her parents and the entire, like, like this, she's at, a uh, um, an existential crisis in that she needs to start, you know, her own life. She needs to start her adult life. She needs to find a job. She needs to have, you know, steady income and a, and a place to live and everything. She needs all of these things. And what I love about the way that this movie depicts that stage of a person's life is that it does it through the guise or through the lens of the child, the, the most childlike dream that you can have. So she finds she, she is invited to this, secret place where Samuel L. Jackson tells her that this is a unicorn store. You are going to get a unicorn, but in order to get a unicorn, you need to do these things. You need to make up with your family. You need to find a, you need to build a good place for the, for the unicorn to live. You need to have a steady job. You need to, you need to get your life together essentially. And I found it really interesting because that is a way that that's a way to depict this growing up feeling for like mid to late 20 somethings who are kind of in a stunted, like arrested development phase of their life. It's an interesting way to showcase that change from going to that kind of like childish, uh, way about you to an adult functioning adult. Um, I've never seen that depicted in a way where it's like, okay, we're, we're, well, we're going to just throw you into this, this world, this fantasy world, or maybe real world where, um, she's going to get her most childlike dream. But in order to do that, she has to make her life better as, as an adult. And it was just a really interesting dichotomy for, for the movie to play because she works really hard to get, to get to that point. But she's, she has this just kind of childlike whimsy that I found really charming and engaging and, and relatable even. Um, I mean, what little boy doesn't dream about having a unicorn? Um, not really. I didn't, I didn't really, uh, want a unicorn, but, um, I understand it as a metaphor though, as a metaphor for that childish hope, that, that, childlike dream that you have that made your major childhood all the more better to dream about having this this one thing in your life or achieving this one goal that is wildly impossible and impractical and everything and to use that goal for this character as the kind of um 
as as the as the as the moving force to get her to move on to this next stage of her life where, where she's an adult and she's not stunted in her uh development or not childish in in any respect or anything um i just thought that was a really interesting way to do it and it pays off incredibly well like like brie larson is astounding like i really loved her direction in this movie and her acting is of course phenomenal because i just really bought how just affected she was by all of this like how she was very much like like her hopes and dreams were on display in this movie in a way that i didn't think I would really connect with. Granted, I didn't really know what the movie was going into it all that well, but I also felt like, well, this is, this is a movie that is, uh, uh, like I'm buying into this, this, uh, this world that this, um, movie is creating for me and this character, uh, and the character that Brie Larson is creating for me. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just an interesting take on kind of confronting adulthood and adult responsibilities. And add to that the fact that this movie starts with her having her soul and her, her dreams crushed because or her soul and aspirations crushed by just her life, by failing out of art school. And she kind of struggles with that a, a bit. And it's just, it, I don't know. It just really, it was really well done. Like I, I feel like there was a lot going for this movie in terms of the direction and, and like the way that it kept, it kept her grounded in a reality, but didn't pigeonhole her to that reality. Like you believe that the, that the unicorn store exists. And when the movie goes into, uh, goes into the, um, it goes into the phase of the movie, I guess, where, you know, her sanity is questioned, essentially. Um, it's not like, it doesn't take any, like, dark turns or anything. It's just like, you're there with her. You believe that she believes that this thing is real. And then when that belief is, um, challenged, it's, it's really kind of heartfelt and heartbreaking, even. Um, and it all pays off incredibly well. Like, I, I was moved by one scene in particular toward the end of the movie where I'll just say that Brie Larson has a conversation. And it's just, it is beautiful. Like, it is absolutely beautiful. And it's kind of the thesis statement of the entire movie. And it's something that I just, I felt so just on board with that character. I was moved by it. It resonated with me in a lot of ways as someone who, uh, is an adult <laughs> and uh, had a very active imagination as a child. Um, so I just, I really just responded to this and I thought that it was really great. Brie Larson did a phenomenal job and I really hope that she directs more um, going forward in, in her career. I rated this four stars um, out of five on Letterboxd and yeah, it's available on Netflix. I definitely recommend checking it out. The IMDb user rating is only 5.5 out of 10, which I feel is, uh, a shame because I, I really felt that this movie was, uh, higher than that. So yeah, um, that's Unicorn Store. I loved it. Uh, I can't wait to see what Brie Larson does, does next behind the camera. And uh, I'm always a fan of hers when she is in front of the camera as well. She's a very talented actress. She's, I would say, probably one of my favorite actresses right now. Um, her, Florence Pugh, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, still, although she hasn't really been in anything lately. Um, <laughs> completely ignoring X-Men Dark Phoenix. <laughs> I, had to, I had to pause and remember what movie that was. Um, but yeah, so anyway... Um, 
Brie Larson's amazing, uh, great directorial debut. Can't wait to see what she does next. That's available on Netflix. It's Unicorn Store, four stars on Letterboxd from Maddie Fresh. Um, <laughs> DJ Maddie Fresh on the ones and twos. Okay, so now we have come to what I'm sure everyone's waiting for. Um, Tiny and I talking about Tiger King. Uh, Tiger King, the limited series, documentary series, reality series. Um, on Netflix that everyone's going just apeshit for. Um, so enjoy this next segment of the podcast, our spotlight recording about Tiger King. Um, of course, this was recorded April 2nd, so we don't have any, like, just today it was announced that Joel McHale is going to have an after show starting next week where the, he talks to people that are in the in the documentary series and I guess it's going to go episode by episode. I don't know. Frankly, I don't care because I thought it was a garbage documentary series, really. Um, and then Jeff Lowe, one of the subjects of it, said that there's going to be another episode that's going to come out at some point. Um, spoiler for this next segment, I'm not going to watch it because I don't care. But anyway, without further ado, uh, this recording from April 2nd, where Tiny and I talk about the pandemic, and then we go into talking about... Tiger King. Uh, enjoy and thank you guys so much for listening and have a good one and stay safe. All right. So uh, we're here for the spotlight uh, screening review thing for this episode of Obsessive Viewer, the COVID-19 film festival uh, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com, the first and hopefully last ever COVID-19 film festival. Um, and so Tiny is joining us once again via the internets. Um, because we are quarantined in our homes and it is day for me, it's day 16. Um, mm. of- for me, it's day negative one. Cause I still have not started a quarantine cause I'm still working. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, <laughs> that's fair. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm actually recording this very soon after Mike and I recorded the last episode segment and everything. So I've gotten to talk to both of you today. It's been nice. Nice. Um, yeah. Uh, he's doing well, by the way. Um, Good. Yeah, he he said, like the most wholesome thing ever, and like I just <laughs> I just love his optimism. Because um, I said, I, like, I asked him how how it was going and everything, how he's handling all the COVID nineteen stuff, because you know he has two young kids, and mm-hmm. he said, um, he said that parents say, like, parents always say that you wish that you had like the times when when your kids were like four and two, uh, like for just a little bit longer, when they get older, you miss that time. And then he's like, this is like my time. Like I'm having that time now. Um, yeah, for real. Yeah. And I'm like, Mike, that is so sweet. Oh yeah. Uh, check out his band as good as it gets. Uh, they have a new single usual suspect. Um, sweet. Yes. So, <clears throat> so tiny for this, uh, spotlight episode thing. Um, spotlight segment or whatever. Um, this episode of the COVID-19 film festival presented by obsessive.com is all about the Netflix movies. Uh, I've watched today, really October or April, not October, April 2nd. Um, (laughs) so yeah, so the listeners have already heard all that. So tiny, what are we talking about for the spotlight segment? We're going to talk about tigers and that goddamn carabaskin. (laughs) (laughs) no we were talking about (laughs) talking about the uh much adored maligned insert adjective here uh netflix miniseries tiger king because we pretty we pretty much have to 
Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, We're pretty pretty much obligated to talk about it because it's so popular. It it is. It is it's crazy. And I'm so glad that we actually have the opportunity to talk about it as like while it's still pretty pretty much like at the forefront. So I'm hoping for some good <laughs> SEO on this. Yeah. People discovering the podcast. Um just for uh I'll go ahead and play a clip from the trailer for Tiger King uh here and so enjoy the this clip from the trailer from Netflix's Tiger Not King. Every day that a zookeeper went to prison for murder for hire. There are more captive tigers in the US than there are in the wild throughout the world. Animal people are nuts, man. They're all crazy. I'm sure y'all got a story to tell. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Joe Exotic, and this is Sarge. He was like a mythical character living out in the middle of bumfuck Oklahoma who owned 1,200 tigers and lions and bears and shit. All right, and the plot summary from IMDb is a rivalry between big cat eccentrics takes a dark turn when Joe Exotic, a controversial animal park boss, is caught in a murder-for-hire plot. Uh, This uh, documentary series runs for seven episodes, I believe. Um, and mm-hmm. it is, yep, seven episodes and it is, uh, on Netflix right now and that's about it <laughs> that I have. Yeah. Uh, so tiny, first of all, I forgot to mention this, Well, we kind of talked about it a little bit, but maybe I'll splice it in later. Um, yeah, fuck it. Anyway, uh, we've already, I'm going to take that again. <laughs> So tiny, this documentary documentary series. How did you come about watching it? Like, what intrigued you about it to watch it, and uh, how did you feel about it? Um, I, I heard about it through the internet before I ever saw any promotion for it or anything on Netflix, um, and and it just blew up on the internet and yeah. I started seeing posts about it, and there were instant memes like the day after the the series posted it's crazy and so basically i was like i have to watch this because it's being it was being spoiled for me what happened because yeah. people were just binging it because of the you know so many people are home right now mm-hmm. and they don't have anything to do or they're bored and so they're just streaming seven episodes in one day yeah. uh, not, not that i blame them no um so the problem was i i really wanted to watch it just cuz it looked and interesting, intriguing, entertaining, and so um, I wanted to watch. But the problem is, Paige, my wife, is very much against animal captivity. Like she's she's not a fan of zoos or anything. Like she and, and like I I never used to think about it very much. Like I'm, I'm I was never an animal rights person, and I'm still not. But like I just never gave it much thought. But she's really kind of changed my opinions on it, and. I can't, I'm I'm not really, I can't really enjoy the zoo anymore. And I just, any kind of animal captivity, even if it's for educational purposes or even if they're, they're bred in captivity, I just, I can't, I just can't really tolerate it anymore. I can't, I can't, I can't enjoy it anymore is what I'm trying to say. Um, I'm not like up in arms about it or anything, but, uh, but so basically to make a long story short, Paige refused to watch it. She was like, it's just going to make me really sad. I won't be able to enjoy it. Um, and so I had to try to find time to watch it on my own, which was challenging because Paige is working exclusively from home. Uh, yeah. So she's always here. <laughs> so it's not like I, can, like I get home early from work or something and I can just watch an episode real quick or something like that. It's like I was I basically was down 
my phone and watching them mm-hmm. during my lunch breaks at work. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that's that's kind of how I came to it. Um, was really just because of the popularity, and I just wanted to be in on the loop, really. Right. Oh, yeah. You just wanted to be part of the conversation. That's kind of the reason why I watched it. Also because, what the fuck else am I going to do? Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm, I'm working from home and everything, and I can just have it playing in the background. Um, so having said that, this documentary series, it it runs the gamut of a bunch of different things. Like It's not necessarily about... The animals being in cat- captivity, it's part true crime, it's part just off-the-wall, crazy um, uh, depiction of these larger-than-life people um, that are so over-the-top. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll go ahead and say it. I fucking hate this. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd say fucking hate <laughs> it, but I... I did. I didn't care about it that like I didn't care in basket Carol Baskin about it. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I it it was fine. It was perfectly fine. It it was interesting. It kept my attention and everything. But I have such a bug up my ass about it because it seems like the internet is running re- running with it while also just not like I feel like the the memification of it and the the conversation surrounding it is all wrong. Like a hundred percent, just completely wrong in terms of just misreading the actual documentary, like the subject, and misreading, like I don't know, misappropriating like your like like the internet hive minds like latching on to like Joe Exotic as an interesting person. Like he's interesting, but he's also like there, nobody in this fucking documentary series is, is deep. Like is, is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, <laughs> someone I give two shits about, <laughs> like I couldn't write anyone in this fucking thing. So I don't know. I, I, I'll talk more as we go into this little review and everything, but I just, I like, I think back to, like making a murder, making a murderer, and even serial, um, which it kind of feels like this documentary series is partially a victim, or I, well, not I don't know. I don't know if Netflix, I don't know how much input Netflix had in actually crafting the documentary because they were filming for years, um, right? But I don't know how much input they had into it. But I kind of feel like part of it is like the Netflix algorithm thing, which is becoming more and more predominant, at least my interpretation of it. Like, um, like, okay. The, the very beginning of the entire documentary series is, uh, an assortment of clips and everything. It's edited together to make you interested. And then it ends with like, this is a collect call from the, uh, um, prison where Joe exotic is. And it's like, it just feels like that. Like that's, that's how serial started every episode. (laughs) And I was just yeah. like, are they are they purposely doing that to make us more like nostalgic for that and put that nostalgia into I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if that if you can really read into that. I think it's just a style thing. I, um, you're probably right. Like one hundred percent probably absolutely creative right. choice. Yeah, but it it just like that kind of set me off at first, but it kind of feels like it kind of feels like this documentary series while being very intriguing, I guess, with interesting people that I 
didn't like or sympathize with. I couldn't sympathize with anyone in this documentary. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it kind of felt like every – there was no cohesion to it. There was no – it was not a cohesive documentary series because it was just like we're going to throw all this shit at the wall and see what sticks. Like, oh, hey, here's this guy. Here's this guy that's going to come in and save the zoo, but, oh, he's actually going to do this. And, like, we're, we'll find out about that two episodes later and everything. And I, I don't know. Anyway, how did you feel about it overall? <laughs> um, um, I was wildly, wildly entertained by it. I mean, I, it, it was totally just a fly-on-the-wall situation. And, like, I, I agree 100% that, that I don't think there is one person in the documentary who is sympathetic at all. Yeah. Um, the, who, who I, who I empathize with. Yeah. I would say, the um, one, sorry. Um, well, we can talk about that later. Sorry. Go ahead. Continue. So, but, but it's just, it, it's like a long, it's like watching a long train wreck, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, um, but, and, and the thing is by the time we get to the end, there are, there are so many despicable characters involved with the Jeff Lowe guy and then that the dude with the long chili bowl haircut. What is my, his name was Mike or something. I don't remember what his name was. Um, the local guy who was like the business owner who got involved with them. Was that Dr. And Oh, Dr. And what Doc Annell? No, not him. It was like, uh, he was local to Winnie Wood, Oklahoma, I think. Sure. I don't know. Who, I can't remember what his damn name was, but uh, so that guy, and then uh, the, the, the plot thickened, and there were so many balls in the air, mm-hmm. and all these people were so awful, mm-hmm. and everything that you were hearing was entirely hearsay. Y- yes. yes, there's like no facts involved anymore, and it's just like let's just get to the end of this. All these, I hope all these people end up in jail mm-hmm. or or penniless or basically they get their comeuppance because they're all yeah. terrible. I, I hope that happens and let's just get there. Cause I'm, I'm kind of, I, it's not, it's not a, it's not a criticism of the documentary. They have to have a cohesive story until the end. And so they had to follow it no matter where it went. I understand that. I'm not criticizing the documentary. I'm just saying that's how I felt by the last like two episodes. I was like, I just hate all these people and I want them to get their comeuppance. <laughs> and yeah. unfortunately not all of them did. Uh, right. But here's, Here's the thing that I kind of – maybe it's because of the world we're in right now, but here's the thing that I kind of really, really had the biggest problem with the documentary series as a whole and the internet's reaction to it. So right now, like we, like we said, like we, we're under quarantine because of the coronavirus. Like, like it is like the – a majority of things are shut down. Only not only essential employees are supposed to be out and everything. And there is a ton, ton of just, um, internet rhetoric and everything leveled at Donald Trump because of the way he is mishandling everything and the way he's a fucking moron who is just being responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of Americans. But anyway, and mm-hmm. I am join, I am including myself in that conversation, of course, um, <laughs> the, everything. But the thing is, what I what I don't like about Tiger King and 
the rhetoric around the current presidential administration. I feel like there is this opportunity for Tiger King to be a reflection of like uh, like our culture and everything. And it, it's maybe something that could be studied by someone who's a lot smarter than me, but like I don't understand the kind of cognitive dissonance between like people who are like fervently and in my opinion rightfully anti-Trump, anti the entire administration just on the grounds that he's an a a narcissistic egomaniacal um sociopath who like like he's he is a dangerous individual to be leading the country but then also people are flocking to this like larger than life personality who had a presidential campaign and had election like um like uh political like mild political aspirations and stuff but they're treating him as like he's they're propping joe exotic up like he is some hero and everything when he's he's not he's a shitty person like he's fucking waving a gun around talking very extensively for years about murdering this woman um going so far as to shooting a fucking handgun at a blow-up doll talking about having her head in a jar and uh do like doing all of these things, like doing these despicable things and everything that he eventually got arrested for. And people are propping him up like, Oh, this is, he's, he's great. Cause he's what everyone aspires to be. Um, and I, I just feel like there's just such a thing. It's like the, the celebrityism of Joe exotic is the same cult of personality that got Donald Trump elected because his idiot followers decided to vote for him. So I don't know. Do I? Wow. Yeah. Am I completely off base? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that you're off base. Um, I think there's some themes there that there's some crossover. I'll say that. Um, and I obviously I disagree with that. Like okay. Joe, Joe exotic is exactly where he needs to be right. uh, in prison for <laughs> a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I agree with that, but I don't know. I, <laughs> It, there's so much to cover here. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there's. Like I said, I don't think there's anybody that can be empathized with on the show. Even the people who were seemingly victims, like the the, the two husbands of Joe Exotic. Um, the, I mean, they absolutely were of their own free will made the decision to marry him and be part of that. And granted, they were sort of seduced by. Um, Obviously, they were straight men sort of pretending to be gay to, you know, be, be part of this lifestyle, essentially, to, first of all, to get, get drugs and to um, basically have, have toys and money thrown at them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not a new thing, but they made the decision to be there. And I'm not saying that it's not tragic. Uh, what happened to, I think his name was Travis... Uh, I think, uh, I, th- I think, I don't know, but uh, he yeah. ac- accidentally mm-hmm. killing himself like that's, that's sad. And no one, no one wanted oh, that, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so th- there are some people who, who maybe I sympathize with for certain reasons, but ev- everyone on this involved in this story chose to be there and, and could have gotten out of this and, like the one girl who was part of Doc Antle's group and they inter- they interviewed her. Mm-hmm. She was like one yes. of the animal handlers mm-hmm. and she she got out and talked about how weird and culty it was and mm-hmm. stuff. Like her, like, yeah, you can empathize with her. She made a dumb decision and yeah. she was young and 
she went out there and did it. But she, when she got older and realized what was going on, she's like, all right, I got to get the hell out of here. And she right. got out of there. Right. So, yeah. but and, that's one person. Yeah. And I would, I would say the one, the one sympathetic person in, in the entire series is also kind of, I don't know if I'd say problematic, but like, like the, the woman that got her arm eaten off. Uh, right. Yeah. Like that is, yeah, that is, that, that's a completely sympathetic person. I have no problems with her, but also it's like, I, like I'm more talking about like just the audience reaction, like missing the point that like, okay, well she's so entrenched in this, in this cultish lifestyle and everything that she was back at work, like within five days of having her arm ripped off. Right. And like no one on the internet seems to be batting an eye to where like they're just more like, Oh, Joe exotic. Oh, he's so great. And everything. It's like the second episode of the, of the entire documentary series is literally called cult of personality. and is about how he (laughs) seduces people into this, into this weird fucking world. And people are still like, I saw like, um, one of the memes that I saw came from a Facebook page. It's like free Joe exotic. And I'm like, fucking why? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, like why? I, ugh. he's 100% guilty of the things he's in jail for. And that's an, yeah. And, and that's another thing like you touched on when you talked about the, um, kind of just the, just general discussion about it, that like, there's no facts, like there's no facts yeah. at all. And that was one of my bigger, bigger issues as well. Is that like, the internet, like everyone on the internet, even fucking OJ Simpson on fucking Twitter is like, oh, Carol Baskin definitely fed her husband to to live tigers. And it's like, unless I missed something, which is perfectly like po- entirely possible um, because I was watching it while I was working, like there's nothing in it in the entire documentary series to – in the form of evidence. Like it's not a true crime documentary. Like it doesn't go into like – detail about like oh how she could have done it or how this could have happened like there's like oh we found his truck here and or the van or whatever at the at the run uh, on the runway and everything and that's it and like one of the episodes ends with a fucking video of joe exotic saying like i'm gonna prove to you that she that she fed her tigers to fed her husband to the tigers and everything and then there's no proof at all but right uh, yeah but yet the internet is all like oh yeah she definitely did that and everything it's like who the fuck is to say because there's no proof or anything there's no evidence of that in the documentary series right yeah i'll say that i mean the the i I will say that i think the the filmmakers uh didn't didn't take a moral stance at any point saying this is something these people and their lifestyles are something to emulate or something to yearn for. I don't think they ever made that statement. Um, And I think they did sort of show some evidence that was um, not evidence, but uh, examples of why this is not a good lifestyle to lead. Right. And that these people are not good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I will say that, but you're you're right. The internet and a lot of people are missing the point and they're kind of, I guess they're not getting the point that they really should. Right. <laughs> um, you know, it's, yeah, like this, the, yeah. Joe Exotic should not be free. There's, yeah. these people should not be adored or emulated. Mm-hmm. They should be, they should really be mocked. And, and there's a lot of mockery going on. Right. Which is satisfact it's it's satisfying. I'm enjoying the shit out of that. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um but yeah, there are there's some unfortunate 
stuff out there. I, I bet the sale, the illegal sale of tigers, is going to go through the roof. Oh yeah, I, I did. I did. Which is unfortunate. Oh, absolutely. And and I did see a really great meme that was like the the meme of like the woman and the man in bed, and the woman is looking over at at the husband. Uh, while while he's laying down like next to her, and then like the thought bubble is her saying like, uh, in this particular case, it's like, <laughs> I bet he's I bet he's thinking about uh, how he can protect his family from COVID nineteen, and then the thought bubble from him is like, I could have had a tiger for only two thousand dollars this entire fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, so, I've like, seen that. It's great. hilarious. Yeah, um, but yeah, and it's just it, it's weird. I think. To kind of dive away from or to, to kind of make myself seem like less of an ass and move away from the internet reaction to it, um, I think that that is – I mean that's just me griping about the internet. Like I can't – like no one is in control of how the internet reacts to something or latches onto something. Yeah. But I feel like it is partially a failure of the film on the filmmaker's part that they didn't create a store – like they didn't – it didn't seem like they had any – like vision for like what they were doing, like except for just telling the story, which is fine, but it's also like, what's the point? And uh, like, it's, I get it that like, yeah, it's fun as an entertainment piece, but it's like, also there's some pretty shitty things happening in it that like, right. I don't know. It it was basically, it was basically a reality show as opposed to a documentary. And, and I think that's why you're having such a reaction to it. And I, I agree with you a hundred percent. That's a really good way to put it. That, yeah. 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 It was all about, look at how fucking nuts these people are. It wasn't about, let's say the tigers or who really killed Carol Baskin's husband. What really happened to him? Or it wasn't about that. It was, they found this subject and filmed it mm-hmm. and, and, I'm I'm okay. I'm fine with it actually. I I'm okay. I don't necessarily think they should have taken a different approach or edited the documentary differently. Um I I don't I don't feel the same way as you do in that regard. Like I'm sure. I'm pretty happy with the way it all went because I I think if they had tried to attach any kind of theme or make any kind of moral judgments or, or um, sort of tell the audience how to feel, mm-hmm. I think it would have come across as disingenuous and it would have been controversial maybe. I, I, I'm not sure. It's hard to say how yeah. that would have turned out and how people would have reacted. But uh, but yeah, it's the, the conversation is all about how nuts is this. Yeah. And, and I'm fine with that because mm-hmm. I'm glad that it's about that and I as, as opposed to a bunch of assholes on the internet saying, man, I want a fucking tiger and yeah. people should be allowed to have tigers. And Jesus. you know, the, the advocacy for that movement gaining traction could have been a symptom of this mm-hmm. documentary, but because of the way it was filmed, I don't, I'm sure there's going to be some of that, yeah. but it's not a mainstay of, of this documentary and its popularity its pop culture status um and i think that's a happy accident more than anything (laughs) that's that's a really good point like that that frames it in a much in a a way that makes me much less heated about it yeah um i will it's hot trash the the show is just hot trash without question i mean 
And that's another thing. Like, just the, like, people like to romanticize, like, that type of, like, that, how to phrase it, <laughs> that type of person, that type of culture. And I'm just like, I've never liked it or cared about it. <laughs> like, just read yeah. it or whatever. Like, the, there are times throughout the documentary, throughout each episode, where I'm just like, just like, I'm like, like, and we we may, I, I don't know, because you know how I am about, like, I feel about guns and everything. It's like, oh, this dude's just shooting guns off and everything. And, like, I'm like, this is fucking dangerous. Like, this guy is a fucking dangerous individual. And, like, it's just, it's, it blows my mind that people, like, latch on to him and stuff. So, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's funny, uh, just back to the sort of bridge you built between <laughs> this and the... Uh, unfortunate popularity of Donald Trump. Um, I think it's, I feel like this is uh, like, like the way I felt about Donald Trump before he was a quote unquote politician. Mm I, I was, I was entertained by him the same way I was entertained by this documentary. Right. Okay. I was like, I would see Donald Trump do what he does and Mm -hmm. say the ridiculous shit that he says about women and about Mm -hmm. whatever his money. And I was like, I I would laugh and be like, what a jackass. I can't believe that guy's famous, whatever. It's, it's, it was entertaining Mm -hmm. and that was fine. I didn't watch The Apprentice. I wasn't. I didn't seek out any information regarding Donald Trump, but it would make its way into popular culture and be a thing. And I would interact. I would come across it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's how I felt about him. Uh, That, that says something really disturbing to me that Mm -hmm. there are a disturbing amount of parallels between the people in this documentary and our current president. And that's, and, and that's, I think that's why, the internet discussion and the popularity of it has the attitude that it does Mm -hmm. because that's an unfortunate that's, that's unfortunately common right now is someone like these people gaining any kind of traction and popularity. Mm -hmm. But my point is to keep those people where they are. Let's keep them as uh, caricatures that we laugh at, you know, um, let's not make them president. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. And I think, and I think the most disturbing thing about the, 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 like my, the most disturbing thing about my entire argument and my position toward this documentary series is that to go back to the whole notion that Carol Baskin fed her husband to, to tigers, like perfect, like, plausible that it could have happened there's no yeah. evidence to it there's not there, it doesn't it's not a deep dive into that specific crime or anything it's just that's just part of the crazy story and everything but yeah the most disturbing thing about it is that the documentary series is about joe exotic so people that are watching the documentary series are like oh joe exotic oh she definitely because he said that she definitely fed her husband to tigers uh Whereas later on in the documentary series, there is a there is a uh, <laughs> there is a situation where the studio gets burned down and like animals lose their lives because of it. That it is overwhelmingly like there is there is a far stronger case that Joe Exotic did that himself or created a situation where he set fire to his own 
studio and killed some some like alligators or something. Yeah. But the internet is doesn't fucking like care about that. They're just like, oh, Carol Baskin, because that's what Joe Exotic said, and that is the most disturbing thing about it. Because yeah. it's not this objective viewpoint of it. It's like from the lens of Joe Exotic, which that's fine as a subject and everything. But if the audience can't parse out or be objective about it, even if it's a subjective thing, like what's the point of art? <laughs> like <laughs> I fucking I I just that that's something that gets me so just bothered and and disturbed by it. So yeah, I I agree. That is that's the prevailing theory about her husband her first husband is because that's what was given so much tension in the documentary by Joe Exotic but it is like you said it's plausible that that, that happened but it is equally as plausible yeah. that she went to her husband and was like hey we hate each other you want to go to Costa Rica all I want is your money you don't give a fuck about your money how about you just get out of here and I will declare you legally dead in five years and I can get your money. He could be sitting on a beach in Costa Rica right, right. now, which is equally as plausible as him as her killing him and feeding him to tigers. Right. Yep. But nobody's really talking about that. No. No, not at all. Because it's yeah, so you're right, because, definitely. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I didn't care for it. I like it's Yeah. I think it's mostly just the internet propping up a shitty person as a hero yeah. of the documentary series. Um, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I will probably watch it again for sheer entertainment value. I, I seriously could not wait to see what happened next. I was entertained as hell throughout the whole thing. Um, and, and really it, until the end, I didn't really get sad about the animals. Um, mm. it was sort of in my mind. Um, but there was so much tragedy involved with the people uh, and I don't mean the main people. Like again, Joe Exotic, Jeff Lowe, even Carol Baskin and uh, Doc Antle—they're not sympathetic. I don't care what happened to them. Right. Like I said, they should all be in jail. But the people who worked for them and trusted them were just paid shitty wages and strung along, and a lot of them became addicted to drugs mm-hmm. and weren't leading great lives, right. and and could more than likely be leading quality lives despite the fact that they were seduced by these people and 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 i hate to say it but that is a greater tragedy than tigers in a cage i mean i it's they're both very wrong and i i don't like to see the tigers in the cage and stuff like that uh but you know it's that's something that's not being paid a lot of attention to a woman lost her arm yeah like you said earlier um and that's wildly tragic I so. yeah I agree. Um, yeah yeah. Uh, I feel I feel very hypocritical because I'm very <laughs> uh, critical of reality TV, especially the sure. trash reality TV. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what this is. I mean, this is that's really what this is. Yeah. And I think that's that's the kind of trick that it's pulling is that it is trashy reality television disguised as like insightful document or thorough or or. All with good editing document, yeah documentary slash partial true crime facade like yes it, just, it doesn't feel that way like yeah uh, it's just it's i feel like it's a con <laughs> like it's yeah it's a, yeah it's a con within it's a con about a con who gets conned yeah it's it's, it's fucking it's cons all the way down so <laughs> yeah i don't know um <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I, 
that's our review. Yeah, I'm ready to stop talking about it. <laughs> Me too. Um, <laughs> all right, well, that's our review of Tiger King. Um, let us know what you thought. Um, this was one of the more interesting reviews I think we've done, um, <laughs> at least recently. So, yeah, let us know what you think, and I'll go ahead and throw it back to the rest of the episode that I'm going to be doing solo. So, Tiny, thank you for taking the time to chat with me about Tiger King, and uh, hope you stay safe and healthy and uh, don't get your arm eaten off. <laughs> yes, sir. You do the same. I don't know. My dog's only 15 pounds. I'm not I'm not sure he could pull that off. So I, I've got to say, that picture that, that I think Paige posted on facebook that was uh, the pillow that you guys had yeah uh, like in like the way that he's like looking over the pillow like begging for food um <laughs> like i just saw that and i was like he knows exactly what he's doing <laughs> like, he does <laughs> he, he ain't no fool as they say uh yeah so thank you guys and uh enjoy the rest of this episode all right, and that was our recording of uh, us talking about Tiger King. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, once again, thank you guys so much for listening. And once again, check out cancanindy.com, K-A-N-K-A-N-I-N-D-Y.com. And also definitely go and buy a gift card um, to the Artcraft Theater in Franklin. Um, support them while they are shut down um, because of the pandemic. So thank you guys so much for listening once again, and we'll see you next time. Next time on the show, I'm going to do a uh, special episode where I talk about a bunch of Philip K. Dick adaptations that I watched. Um, so that should be fun. So check that out coming up on the podcast. Until then, again, stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you guys so much for listening to the Obsessive Viewer Podcast. And now, here's a short clip from our Patreon-exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. This is, I don't even know what day it is of isolation. I don't know if I would even count it as isolation. Well, yeah, it is isolation because I haven't gone anywhere. I've gone to the store a couple of times and work a couple of times. And that's since, like, the... I don't even know when. I don't know. I know that it's been like 20 days since I've seen a movie in a movie theater. And I had a dream where I was seeing a movie in a movie theater. And I tweeted about that. But part of the dream was that I was in line at concessions. And then I got into the theater and sat down. And like the first thing I saw was like a trailer for Fast 9. And something about Keanu Reeves. I don't know. This is premium content you're paying for me talking about my dreams. Um... So all the stuff going on is crazy. The Obsessive Viewer podcast is edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For a full archive of our episodes, go to ObsessiveViewer.com slash OV archive. You can also like our Facebook page and join the OV Facebook group at Facebook.com slash The Obsessive Viewer. And follow us on Twitter at Obsessive Viewer and at Obsessive Tiny. And follow our recurring co-hosts at I am Mike White, that's me, at R.A. Feckus and at Burger underscore Lurker. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. 
or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at teepublic.com, T-E-E, public.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also find Tower Junkies, a podcast where Matt and Tiny share their love of all things Stephen King and his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series, at TowerJunkiesPod.com and at TowerJunkiesPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast, which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. The theme music for The Obsessive Viewer comes courtesy of the band Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Kitty! Kitty!